with um, uh, four of the people here, or three people that are here, um, and Simon. So that was very good. And God willing, we'll be coming back in October, November to preach a sermon on the Psalms, and others will be doing that in a series. So that'd be good. I come from Lansing. I was the pastor there from 1997 through to 2020. And 2020, I retired from the church to take on a, a job training director for the School of Preachers, which involves going to a variety of churches like I did come here, uh, but also going around the world. So mainly um, to Latvia, where, where I, I kind of have a, a long-term kind of relationship and uh, help with a School of Preachers there, which is a two-year program, and also um, teach in other places. So yesterday I was in Ukraine, kind of not literally in Ukraine, but um, teaching um, a group uh, of, of preachers and we back with them in August. And it's a great opportunity to serve. And it's kind of quite humbling, really, to think, you know, that when they've got a few other things on their mind, um, they're thinking about being prepared for the opportunities of the future. And I think, you know, that's, that's the nature of hope, isn't it? The nature of hope is that we, that we don't feel that even the most life-crushing circumstance in our lives is the end of the story. There is always the possibility of another chapter. That's very important. Of course, it's very important as you come to this um, particular stage in Luke, isn't it? Because you're coming to this point where Jesus is dying upon a cross. And for all of us, death is the end. Unless the story that we read about in the Gospels is true. That Jesus defeats death and opens up a door of life and hope for people in the future. Um, Unless that's the case, well, death is the ultimate disaster. I don't know what um, you think of when you think of the the Last Supper, Um, maybe one of those very famous um, pictures of the the disciples all in a line behind the table, um, looking a little bit like um, a successful football team um, <laughs> celebrating their, their final victory and their gold medals. I, I once saw a painting in, in Peru, in a church in Peru, and uh, there was a painting of the Lord's Supper, and at the centre of the table there was a, a roasted guinea pig, and the roasted guinea pig had its four legs sticking up in the air, because in our imagination, because guinea pigs are quite a delicacy there, if you're going to have a party, Quite clearly, a guinea pig was going to be the, the main feature of the party. I had to say to our children and all the children at the church, no, I didn't eat a guinea pig when I was in Peru. So that's really, really important, isn't it, to um, reassure children in that respect because they become a little nervous about you when you visit them um, and get too close to their pets. How do you imagine the, the first Last Supper? that time when Jesus gathered together with his disciples. It's a, it's a bittersweet meal, as we've seen in this reading. It's, um, it, it is, as we'll see, um, a remarkable time, or an opportunity to be together, but also it's a bittersweet meal, um, because we know what's kind of going on um, behind the surface. What's going on is that there is an air of celebration. So six times in that reading... The word Passover um, was, was heard, um, and Passover was a very big deal in Israel. It was the big festival. It was the last day of school term. It was um, Easter. 
It was jubilee, all rowed together. It was a, a massive celebration of the greatest thing that God had done in Israel's history, bringing them out of captivity, bringing them from uh, chains to freedom, uh, delivering them from a tyrant, giving them a brand new start, bringing them into the promised land, uh, giving them all of his promises, making his covenant name known to them. Passover was a great event. On, on the Passover night, uh, people would gather for a meal, and, and that's what we've got in the story, that, that meal that was being um, performed yet again um, in, in Jerusalem. Why is tonight different from all other nights? That's the question a child would ask at um, the Passover meal. What's so different about tonight? Why are, we, why are we in tonight? Why is television off? And why are we around the meal table going through this elaborate process of these four cups and uh, the, the meat done in a special way and the bread done in a special way? What's this all about? It tells us about our roots, just like the communion service tells Christians about our roots. A reminder that we, we live because he died. We are able to be welcomed by God because he experienced the Father's face turned away. We celebrate the reality of our Christian faith as we come to the communion table. And in Israel, as the Passover feast was celebrated, that's what they did. So it was an air full of celebration. This was a great event. You look forward to this. Um, here was a, a great time to, to celebrate. But also... Um, the air was hanging heavy with betrayal. Um, all the while this um, Passover meal was being planned, one of the disciples, unknown to all the other disciples, as, we, as we'll see, was plotting a very different kind of plan. He goes to the authorities and he betrays Jesus. He feels the weight of the silver coins in his hand as he receives payment for the betrayal. And he seeks to find an opportunity to betray Jesus. We know that later on in Luke, as you'll come to it, is that he does it with a kiss. And sometimes it's interesting, isn't it? You know, you always hurt the one you love. And often we are hurt by the ones that we love. Uh, there's a story, a 50-word story. There was a competition at the radio um, put on Radio 4, put on a few years ago and they wanted people to write a story in 50 words and someone wrote a story about Jesus coming to earth and the question was asked, what was the worst thing about coming to earth? And he said, it was the kiss. Of course it was the kiss. The kiss from a friend. The kiss from someone who'd been recruited as one of the 12. It was the kiss. Of course it was. Betrayal is always really very difficult to deal with. And we've been seeing in the last week or two some elements of political betrayal. Um, some of us maybe have experienced in our lives the betrayal of a spouse or a child, maybe a business partner who has sold us down the river. And we feel a sting of that, and maybe we feel, feel a sting of that decades after what's happened. Maybe we're still paying for it in terms of therapy or actually financially having to pay for uh, the betrayal that we experienced. Uh, the, the, the air hung heavy with betrayal. 
You know, when we um, come to the Lord's table, you perhaps remember the words. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. It's interesting, isn't it? Enshrined in the, the, the celebration that we have at the Lord's Supper is a reminder that when Jesus went to the cross, it was a re- as a result of betrayal. It's a reminder that those who are followers of Jesus can be disappointing to Jesus. That they can let him down. And yet, the wonder of it is, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and gave us an opportunity to remember that he loved us so much that he's willing to die in order to deal with our failures, to delete our guilt and to write a whole new story for us by his grace in the gospel. So Judas betrays Jesus. Uh, We're not told his motives. There's no psychological analysis of, of why he did it. It's just plainly said that he did. But it's interesting what is said. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Something happened. There was a moment when a door was open and the opportunity for Satan somehow to turn the mind of Judas, to turn the direction of Judas there in verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed how he might betray Jesus. And this kind of blend of celebration and betrayal, of joyful meeting together and profound disappointment, is something that prepares us for the events of Easter, the events that you're going to read of in the climax of Luke's Gospel. A cross and a resurrection. A cross of suffering and pain and death and a resurrection where we celebrate that death has been defeated. Life and immortality has been brought to light by the gospel. So the air that we breathe at this, um, this time in Luke's gospel, the air of celebration and the air of betrayal, sets up the events that we think of at Easter. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection after that. Now someone... You know, Alison mentioned that, in a sense, there is the plan of God working through all of this, and that's really very important. And we see it there um, in the kind of sense of anticipation that there is um, around this particular feast. So Passover was something that happened nationally. And just like, you know, the Platinum Jubilee happened nationally, yet individuals baked their scones made their tea and invited their friends round. And you wanted to get that right. You wanted to get your tables positioned and your tablecloths on and everything right in the garden and hoping, although it wasn't quite like that, was it? Hoping that the sun would shine and everything would be glorious. There is the big picture, the big picture of Passover, this great event in national history. And there is the particular event of being together with the people that you know and the people that you love. And that's the, the, the other story that rolls around in this particular reading, verse 7 through to 12. Um, Jesus giving directions to Peter and John 
to make preparations for um, the Passover that they were going to particularly celebrate, the lamb that they were going to eat, the wine that they were going to drink, the table around which they were going to sit, um, the place where Michelangelo was obviously sketching um, in order to get his famous painting, The Last Supper. Where do you want us to prepare this, um, said uh, John uh, and Peter. Verse 10, Jesus replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, where is the guest room? Now, it's not unprecedented for a man in first century Palestine to carry water. Um, It is um, unusual, though. Um, There is the joke, isn't there, about the woman who puts the ashes of her late husband into an egg timer. And she's asked why she does this, and um, she says the reason is, um, for the first time, he can be helpful around the kitchen. (laughs) Now, it's not unprecedented for a man to carry water. But, but it's, it's unusual. Normally women did this. So, so it, would have been, it would have been something that would not have been particularly common. Um, so, so therefore it was something that, that, that you know, was a, a good, clear signal. Um, a little bit like, you know, it wouldn't have been a signal uh, when the angel said, there's a baby who's wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's not a signal. Every baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The signal was lying in a manger. So it is, it is an unusual thing, and, and this is an unusual thing here. And they go, as Jesus tells them, and they find what Jesus says they'll find, and they make their preparations. It's been said that creativity is piercing the mundane to find the marvellous. Quite a statement, isn't it? Um, doing chores is, is not always something that we kind of are happy with. Having a list of things to do having some physical work to accomplish, laying a table, getting the cooking ready, making sure the place settings are all correct, inviting people, welcoming people, chatting with people before uh, the main action of the the food arriving. All of those things can seem to be a little bit of a chore. But of course, the disciples were involved in these mundane tasks. But what they were doing was not just preparing for the Passover, but they were preparing for the first celebration of the Lord's Supper, something that millions and millions of people will be doing today. They were, they were doing a list of ordinary tasks, but they were actually setting up the first of millions upon millions of celebrations of this table. You know, that does invest with dignity, the mundane tasks that we perform. Fixing the coffee and tea before the service on the Sunday morning. Putting out the chairs. Preparing to speak to the children. Choosing the songs and putting them in the right order. Knowing how to introduce them. Knowing when to pray and how to pray and what to pray for. All of those things, quite simple. But sometimes those main mundane tasks can be so important. A number of people have said to us at Lansing Tab that the thing that impressed them, two things that impressed them, one, they just walk past the building. It does happen in Lansing. People just walk past. It's quite a busy village. 
And they walk past on a Sunday morning, they hear the singing. And we've had some people, as a result of that, come in to the service because they've heard the singing. And then people say, um, we've been to the church, and it was the welcome that we received on the door was so overwhelming, so friendly, that we felt we wanted to come again. Now, of course, you know, sometimes at the door, we kind of maintain our wedding smile and we put out our hand and we shake our hands again and we, we say the words, it's nice to see you, where are you from, and all those kinds of things. But, you know, that mundane task could lead to that person seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, finding new life. Um, we, we ought to be very careful not to use the word, oh, it's just welcoming people at the door, or it's just making another cup of coffee, just another morning service I'm leading for, In God's terminology, there is no such thing as just, mere. Every action is full of the potential of being life-transforming. Ordinary things. You know, like that boy, he he turns up with five tiny rolls and two fish. Um, He probably thinks that's a pretty good packed lunch, actually. That sounds like a pretty good packed lunch for a small boy. But in fact, it feeds 5,000 men and probably others um, in that crowd. Mundane things, just a a packed lunch, maybe hastily prepared before he went out of the door. Just make sure you've got something to eat. Make sure you're hungry, your legs are hollow, you you need something for the day. A mundane action, the school lunch made every day. What a difference, though, eh? What a difference. And, and hear the difference. Uh, that their mundane task of getting the room ready, getting the food ready, lining out all the place settings. This was a moment in time. You know, you could never, ever again be at the first Lord's Supper. This was an amazing moment. Kind of like seeing the the Beatles in the Cavern Club in Liverpool with maybe a crowd of 30 or 40 people. You know, a magic moment, an amazing moment. And the anticipation continues when Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus wanted to celebrate Passover um, because that's what people did um, in his nation. Of course, he was involved in the first Passover. He was involved in the amazing deliverance that they're now celebrating. He was the author of that deliverance. And I guess, I guess with those kind of memories, um, it couldn't but um, give you a sense of joy that this is still being celebrated centuries after the event. Jesus is, of course, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is, in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, our Passover Lamb. It's an astonishing thing, isn't it? That Jesus, who is 33 years old, is in fact older than the dawn of time. And he was there at the Passover. And 
The Passover lamb has come to die for an even greater deliverance amongst us. But think of those words. I eagerly desire to have this Passover with you. With you. You know, if someone I know, he says, you know, that we talk a lot about what God does, what Jesus does. And and often we, we think about Jesus doing things for us. And that's a really important thing. And part of this celebration of bread and wine that we're going to be thinking about later in this reading. Um, do speak about what Jesus does for us. But we need to remember that the first name that Jesus has, uh, speaking about his mission, is a, a word about being with rather than for. Remember in Matthew's Gospel, the first name, he's called Emmanuel because God is with us. And only then is he called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In the revelation of Jesus, it is his being with us. That's the first revelation. His being for us is what comes next. I eagerly desire to have this Passover with you. I wanted to have company with you. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus goes to Gethsemane to pray, he wants to have his disciples with him, three of his disciples with him. Um, He prays their company. He likes to be with them. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the Lord's Supper is called a communion service. It's about hanging out with Jesus Christ. And it's about hanging out with those who are followers of Jesus Christ. I eagerly desire to be with you. I want to sit down and have this last opportunity to say, I love you. I'll miss you. This is a farewell meal. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe the next day, a sister or a brother, a child or a grandchild is about to drive to the airport and fly away to the Americas or Australia. And we all know what that's been like in the last couple of years with restricted travel. Saying goodbye and wondering whether you'll see them again for a long time. I just want to be with you. And that's the nature of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus Christ wants to be with us. His love is that he wants to have communication with us. And he wants to spend time with us. I eagerly desire to celebrate this Passover with you. And of course, as, as Alison said, this, this meal is about fulfilment. Sorry, my, my barber's blowing around quite a bit. I'm just making sure I'm in the right place. I don't think I am. Here we are. Um, for I tell you there in verse 16, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. And I think it's important for us to recognise that Jesus realised that although some people had a timetable for him, Judas had a timetable, a betrayal, the authorities had a, betray- had a timetable, they wanted to kill him, get him out of the way. Easter was going to come, the, the cross was going to happen, and the assumption was that that was going to be it. This irritation would be removed 
you'd swat it away like a fly and you could get on with business as usual. But there was another plan going on. The plan of God. The fulfilment of God. Jesus is anticipating his death, but he realises that there's something after his death. That God is unfolding his eternal plan. That he's got purposes of fruitfulness in the future, in the lives of these people who are in front of him. And for the world forever. I'll not eat in this way with you until I do so in the kingdom. And what a celebration that will be, the the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a party that will be when everybody is gathered, free from all their limitations of, of weakness, sorrow, suffering, death, pain, sinfulness. What a day that will be. Of course, this... Um, This time is also a place of remembrance. Passover was a time of remembrance. The Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance. The boy says, why is this evening uh, any different from any kind of other evening? And Jesus says, "Um, this, what I'm doing here now, turning this Passover into a supper, a supper for the church for the whole of the time before I return. It's a time of remembering. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then if you've ever had those conversations around a meal table and maybe someone's trying to describe a a sporting event. Perhaps they're trying to explain cricket to to an American. And they'll, they'll take a pepper pot and they'll say, this is the bowler. And the salt pot and say, this is the batsman. Um, And... And we know, we know, in fact, that um, that pepper pot is not a batsman. Um, this, this is a batsman. This is my body. This represents my body. When you get together and you break bread and you take wine in the future, just remember that I was with you and I was given for you. Just remember that. And of course, um, as Tom Wright once said, um, it's important to recognise that when, when Jesus wanted us to remember, he didn't give us a whole host of information. He gave us an act to perform. Of course, later on in, in Luke, when two disciples are on a road to Emmaus and they're with who they think is a stranger and finally come to a, a place of lodging and take a meal and Jesus takes some bread and he breaks it. We read that when he breaks the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Familiar places, familiar rituals bring back memories, don't they? You know, you, you go to Keswick. I, I would guess probably there may be one or two places that you always stop off at. You always go for a cup of coffee there and other business um, and, and that's where we are, families. You know, when families gather together, they'll always kind of do certain things. It's kind of the way life happens. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus didn't teach them a theory. He gave them an act to perform. This is a place called promise. There in verse um, 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying... This cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
just poured out for you. This is my blood poured out for you. What a sacrifice. What a promise. A covenant promise. A covenant is a a firm agreement, a promise that is sealed by blood. It is a promise of industrial strength love. It is a promise of commitment that will never die. It is a promise that says, in the words of the letter to the Hebrews, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I've got this. You're in my hands. I'm holding you. You are secure. Do this in remembrance of me. Hey, good if we had a bit of bread and wine in our bag. Um, I, I, should have, I should have thought about that. But um, next time, next time when you do that as a church, remember. Remember all the things that we've been thinking about. Remember the backstory to Passover. Remember the backstory to Jesus' desire to be with you, to be at that table with you. Remember that you're fellowshipping with him. You're feasting with him. But there's a sad line, isn't there? An extremely sad line after that. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is now with mine on the table. That close. That close. Hand is with mine on the table. Now, obviously, they didn't have a British mother. I guess they all had their hands on the table. Maybe some of them even had their elbows on the table. I don't know. Well, you, you kind of had to because their tables were low and they, they were leaning on them. That, that's the way it kind of works. The hand of the one who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The backstabbing hand is with mine on the table. I can feel his breath. I can smell his distinctive odour hand of him who's going to betray me is on the table. I said earlier, many of us have experienced that. Someone that we said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Someone who said that to us, who's no longer there. They've gone up and left. The child that we gave birth to and nurtured and loved and cared for, who doesn't speak anymore to us a business partner that we were full of excitement with when we set up the business, cheated us. They were with us. Their their hands, their hands were in this. Their hands were joined together. But the betrayal has come. It, It stings, doesn't it? What a sting it is. To be let down by someone who means very little to us, to be let down by a stranger, is is hard enough. To be let down by someone who was close. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Heartbreaking. Is it me? Is it me? Um, The Son of Man will go as has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. It's striking, isn't it? If I said to you, in this room, there is someone who is not what they pretend to be. I wonder what you think. 
I've always had my suspicions about them. You might, someone might be thinking. I knew there was a weak link. Now at this point, none of them had a suspicion that Judas was the betrayer. There was no pointing finger. You see, the, the question that sometimes arises in our hearts, how could Judas do it? How dare he? But instead of asking that, they all asked, is it me? They didn't point the finger at anyone. They pointed the finger at themselves. Could it be me? And I think it's a very challenging thing, isn't it? That, that when we talk about the possibility that we might disappoint Jesus, we might let Jesus down, we might even betray Jesus, We ought not to immediately say, that could never happen to me. It ought to cause us to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to examine ourselves. To examine ourselves, to see if um, we've drifted, to see if we've grown cold, to see if there are rival loves seeking to capture our hearts. Because there was a moment, wasn't there? There was a moment when Judas, happy to be recruited, going out and preaching and healing and delivering, there was a moment when he stepped over to the dark side. There was a moment. The Lord's Supper helps us to come back to the cross, doesn't it? Helps us to come back to the cross. Even when we have, in weakness or foolishness, let Jesus down. It's not the end. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The hand of the one who betrays me was at the table. Jesus didn't say, don't stay. You're not welcome here. He was still welcome at the table. There was still a door left ajar, even for Judas, to somehow change his mind. Reconsider. Draw back. I love that story. The story about the son of Jennifer Reese Larkham. Jason Reese Larkham. He, he was a wealthy businessman. Had a lovely house and family. And he saw a, an advert for a bet. Five pound bet. Free five pound bet. And he put um, five pound on the free five pound on. And it developed into a habit. Developed into a habit um, which made him lose his self-respect, turn to drink, um, lose his family, lose his home, and end up £70,000 in debt, leaving um, his home with a flat plastic bag of his remaining possessions. He went back to his, his mum's home, and eventually he began to think about Jesus, thinking about returning to Jesus. And he said, you know, when he did that, he said, you can take a thousand uh, steps away from your God, but when you take one step back, he's waiting there for you. The hand was on the table. It was that close. It was that close. 
Jesus who desires to be with us, if invited to come to us, will be right there. Right there. Right on it. Let's pray.